My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to our latest episode of the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm really looking forward to what we have to talk about today. I hope you all really enjoyed as well the special crossover episode, the unplanned crossover episode with the Whole Church podcast where we interviewed Dr. Ord there. Tom, very, like I said before, very well-spoken man, very intelligent man. I had a ton of fun doing that. If you haven't checked it out, it's in our feed. Go do so. It's going to be a fun time just experiencing all that. But with all that said, let's get into the meat of today's discussion by going into the book of Luke. We'll be going specifically into chapter 12. As, of course, there is a plane in the background, so hopefully that doesn't get caught up. <laughs> it, uh, starting uh, book 12, 1 through 3. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. We see just how popular Jesus is right here in that people are fighting one another to get the chance to be around him. But what does he talk about here? He talks about the Pharisees, not what he has to say. Like almost 2,000 years ago to the day, Jesus was warning us about allowing hypocrisy to spread among us in a way that destroys our lives, our credibility, and our witness. Just allowing it to fester and remain in our presence can kill the gospel from spreading. Not permanently, but it can be a huge deterrent for some people. The moment Christian hypocrisy was mentioned today, I'm sure we all had a name, like an organization somewhere, or some historical moment that came to our minds. And you know what? Chances are that those were very correct assumptions to make. But what about us? What about our hypocrisies that you and I, we spew out of our mouths day after day, not even just our mouths, but with our actions as well? What about the times you and I settle, just go out there and settle for less in order to kind of fit in with people or not be made fun of, what have you? What about those times? What about those moments when we say that? It's so easy to say, oh, they're the Pharisees back at it again. And yeah, that, that's true. It's a truthful statement. But far better is it for us to recognize our own weaknesses and improve on them before we worry about other people. Remember how Jesus taught us how to judge. Get rid of the log in our own eyes. Then we can worry about the speck in our brothers. Be mindful of all of this. Because while it may not be necessarily our hypocrisies, they may not be as vocal as the hypocrisies of the Pharisees, it still remains hypocritical. <laughs> Hypocrisy is saying you're doing one thing and then doing another. Guess what? Every single human being has been jealous, <laughs> jealous of that, has had that happen in their lives at some point in time. Guilty was the word I was looking for there. <laughs> has been guilty of that at one point and way more than one point in our lives. Never use the fallacious argument of whataboutism to justify and hide your own sins and hypocrisies, lest you and I end up exactly like the Pharisees did, because that's what they did. It's like, man, God, I'm just so righteous. Like I give, I give money 
to the poor. I give money to the temple. Like I do, I follow all these rules and like, look at this wicked person over here. They're such screw ups that's coming in here asking for forgiveness. I have no reason to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> we do the exact same thing every single day. I don't think there's a person out there and you did, you were probably in a coma. And if you didn't have a dream, I mean, there's probably a dream where you're doing something sinful and you thought it was a good idea. There's not a person out there who has gone a single day without sinning, without having a thought. And then instead of pushing it aside, encouraging it or having an opportunity to come out and then embrace it, knowing it wouldn't be good for us, knowing it would be wrong. We've all been there just like the Pharisees. So he's speaking out against them. He's speaking out against us. Also note, that no matter how well we think we've hidden something, we all have done that at some point in time, the truth is going to come out. And we will be judged for our actions. Doesn't matter how far I go in the past. I mean, like, cancel culture is huge today. And Christians are just as guilty as anyone else of bringing it up and say, well, I no longer have to th- uh, care about what you have to say because you did this. But what do you think the world's going to do? A world that doesn't know Jesus. And they see us doing this, and they see themselves doing this, thinking it's okay. That's like, oh, you said this 15 years ago, even though you've changed, even though you're better than who you were, and you've repented of that. Well, I don't have to listen to you anymore. See how stupid that is? How pointless that is? Like, look, there are some things out there. It's like, there are people who have gotten away with a lot. And I would do my best not to associate with them. But at the end of the day, we need to look at ourselves. First and foremost, and be as blameless as possible. Notice I didn't say sinless because that's impossible. Be as blameless as possible so that when our darkest secrets do come out, that is, do come out, not if they come out, we can handle the bad press easier and then own up to what we have done in full confession and humbleness. Look, I already talked about it last time. I have the the thorn in my side. It just sucks. It's like, I know I shouldn't be doing it. And yet I do it anyways, because it brings me happiness. It brings me momentary pleasure. And it's wrong. It's evil. Like, I have repented of that so many times over. And yet it still keeps crawling back in my life. But what happens, God forbid, someone gets a video of me doing that. A video of one of you doing something you know you're not supposed to be doing. Well, video. Yeah, sure, we could say, well, that's just deep fake. But we know, we know what we did. Be as blameless as possible. And when that comes out, admit it and say, God has forgiven us, not as an excuse, but as a way to say, I am a work in progress. I am working to be perfect. Like I will never be in this world, but I'm working for it anyway, because that's who I'm supposed to be. So we'll move on from there to verses four through 12. I tell you, my friends, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. 
and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. We have this false idea that we're not supposed to be afraid of God. And I'll admit I've fallen for this myself several times before. No one wants to say, I'm afraid of the God I worship. <laughs> Unless you're Greek or you know, you believe in you know the North Pantheons as well. It's like, yeah, you should probably be afraid of them. They're, they're pretty bad. But no, like, we are called to fear God, not to live in fear of God, but to be afraid of him. It's like, look, because of who he is and what he can do, if we're not afraid of God, we are fools. None of us has the power to end creation with a word. None of us has the power to retcon someone out of existence permanently, and we'd all forget they ever existed. None of us has that power, yet God does, because he is in total control of creation. If that's not something to be afraid of, I don't know what else is. But that doesn't mean we remain in fear. We use that fear correctly. Knowing who God is and knowing what he's capable of should leave us in awe of the fact that he doesn't do those things to us that we rightfully deserve. Instead, we should be in fear of love. That love, that gracious love that saves you and I from ourselves, that is good. God is good. He is loving. He is just. But because that love outweighs the justice, that mercy outweighs the justice, we should be in fear of that respectfully to know that at any moment he could have taken it away, but he won't because he is love, because he is merciful while still being just. It's okay. If you're having, you're struggling right now with that, why, why should I be afraid of God? Like, shouldn't, like, shouldn't I not be afraid? It's like, once again, I'm saying to be afraid of what God can do and has the power to do. Not be afraid that, oh no, this could be the moment. He could take me away right now. And to live our lives in fear in that regard, that's completely missing the point of what it means to be afraid of God. There comes a sovereign respect from God's authority and power that we should be fearful of. And we should also be joyous of that he doesn't go through with what he righteously should do to all of us the moment we sin, and yet doesn't, because God is love. Also, along all of this, there are plenty of things out there in this world beyond God that we're going to be afraid of. You know what? It's going to happen. Like this, there's venomous spiders out in the world. There are flatworms that if we drink the wrong water will cause irreparable damage to our bodies. There's debt. There's depression. There's the possibility and the eventuality of losing loved ones. No one wants any of those things to happen. All of those things can harm us if they enter our lives. But none of them are to be feared compared to the power of God, who controls all nature and all time. Like I said before, at any moment, he could allow us to die or even move himself to do so if the situation calls for it, as is his right as the creator of all things, as the potter who shapes the clay, that is his right. He can do whatever he wants. 
Yet take heart. God cares more about us than anything else in his glorious creation and seeks to offer us the best of what he has to give. God is not there to remind us, oh, you sinned? Hey, remember, I can kill you at any moment in time. Oh, hey, you screwed up. You didn't talk to that person I told you to talk to? Well, I guess it's your time. That's not how it works. That's not the fear we should live in when it comes to God. He wants to offer the best for us. Fear God, like I said, because he is love and because he is justice. Nothing gets past him and nothing can be hidden from him. So don't despair. He is aware of our needs. He is aware of where we are in life. And he is there to talk to at any time. We don't have a God who's distant, who doesn't love us, who created the world and then left us like some godforsaken deists would believe. Look at the Jefferson Bible sometime. If you want something that removes the supernatural from scripture a lot and leaves you with very little hope in the world, that's where you could be. Yet that's not what God did. He didn't just write the Jefferson Bible. He wrote the totality of the Bible, including the miracles, including the love he has for us and the good things he has done. So in light of all this, when we enter situations where we become more fearful of humans than God and how they will treat us, learn to act boldly and proclaim his name. It's not always easy. Probably going to lose friends and family along the way. And they're going to want nothing to do with us as a result of us coming to faith. But remember what we read earlier in Luke a couple uh, chapters ago. They're not truly rejecting you and I. They're rejecting him instead. I would rather be rejected for being like him than for being complacent and not speaking of him ever again in my life. Also, let's not totally get wrapped up in this. But we do see that you know everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, whoa, that's an unforgivable sin. What does that mean? Let's not get bogged down in that. There's a lot of debate on what that could mean. There's the idea that, well, true blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is never once coming to faith in your entire life. And then when you're brought before the judgment throne of God, he sends you to hell uh, because you chose ultimately to go to hell. He respected your choice. There are some who say that the, the unforgivable sin, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, is attributing to Satan what God did. So we see an earlier example from last chapter of the Pharisees saying, you brought those demons, you exercised them out of those bodies because you're in league with Satan. That would be an example of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I'm a little more on that regard. I'm not going to come down one way or the other. What I will say is what the unforgivable sin is not. It is not suicide. Suicide is a sin along many others. We get that false idea of like, well, I didn't confess to anyone but, you know, my last sin, which was to murder myself in that moment. So therefore, I'm going to hell. Uh, that's something more Catholic people have to deal with, wrestle with than us, because our confessions were golden the moment we give our lives to Christ. Well, we do. Or we are still called to give confessions to others. But the moment we make that commitment, it's one and done. We're his forever. Nothing's going to take that from us. So it is not suicide. It's not murder. It's not stealing. It's not anything you can think of that you may have done before you came to faith, because you never would have come to faith at all if you'd committed that sin. Unforgivable means unforgivable. So if you're his, you made that decision, you're golden. Game over. Case closed. 
don't get too swamped up in that verse, creating more worry out of verses that are supposed to enrich us and make us feel better about the life we're in because of the mercies God is offering us by saying words like this. Jesus is offering mercy and love, knowing we're going to get anxious, knowing we're going to worry about such matters. Don't get bogged down in that. Last of this part, be reminded we don't need to have all the answers. You don't all need to go to seminary. I'm in seminary right now, and I still screw up basic definitions. Never ask me what Armenianism is. <laughs> I know what it is. I can't put it into words. So if you ask me, Christian, explain the definition of Armenianism, I will get tongue-tied. And I'll go, uh, I don't know. But I do know. I just can't say it. Now, some people would say, well, that means you don't know it. It's like, no, it's up here. I just don't have the ability to say it out loud. So I could probably use it in a sentence correctly. I could probably get you an understanding that way, but you're going to get tongue-tied. I mean, you only have to listen to me for five seconds to know, like, even when I've written something out, I still get tongue-tied. I have a lisp. I have a stutter that I have been working on for years. And they come out like, Moses had a stutter. Moses didn't think he was a good public speaker. But you look through what he says in, you know, the Pentateuch, uh, uh, and you go, what, what do you mean this man was ever unable to say anything, that he had a stutter? He couldn't, he couldn't say anything to a crowd. That's the point. God can push us past our deficiencies. He will remain who he is regardless of how we screw up, regardless of how, you know, we forget a verse that we're going to say, this was the verse this person needed to hear today while I'm witnessing, or, you know, it's like, oh, if I just understood, you know, how God made creation outside of time, yet in time, that that would have been the one thing that would have brought them to faith. If he didn't want you to say it, then you weren't going to say it. He will remain who he is, regardless of how we screw up or even with how successful we come, be, we become in sharing our faith with others. We forget that part. God's the same God when he, when, we're successful, and God is the same God when we fail and screw up. He's the same regardless. Don't worry overwhelmingly about how you present. Like, it's okay to figure out, okay, maybe I should say this, knowing who this person is, I should approach the issue this way. That's a good way of prepping. But if that's all you do, that's all you remain at, and you get to that moment, all you're going to be thinking of, oh, if I say this wrong, I'm going to screw everything up. Don't worry about presentation. No and embrace the peace that God offers us by saying he will let the Holy Spirit speak with us and teach us. So we live in America right now. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Christians have screwed up America. Atheists have screwed up America. Agnostics have screwed up America. So on and so forth. Yet we're not at that stage yet, and hopefully never, but I know how the world works. Where we're being brought up before courts and saying, you believe in this God? Well, defend yourself or we kill you. Or defend yourself and we'll kill you as some court cases go in parts of the world. That day may come. But regardless, don't worry about it. He's got us in his hands. We're going to be okay. So we'll move from there to verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? This is a rhetorical question. He answers God. But the man is not acknowledging that by asking a question in this moment. 
And if he didn't know the answer, he wouldn't have been asking it like this 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have no way to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? Excuse me. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Speaking of getting tongue tied. (laughs) So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's the easy answer here. Don't let the things of this world take us away from our call. Our call is to spread the gospel and to love those around us while loving God. There is nothing wrong to my Don't Waste Your Life fans out there by Piper. There's nothing wrong with having possessions, especially when God is the one who gave them to us in the first place. But there is always something wrong with greed and losing our focus on the mission. Always. Money is an inevitable part of life. And we need to understand that. Doesn't matter how many seminars you go to, how many, oh, if I just, you know, plan my finances this way, I'll be golden. Doesn't matter. Money's inevitable. You're never going to get rid of it. Wow. Especially if you're able to hear my voice on a podcast, you probably have a phone or computer. That means you had to use money. You have access to the internet you had to pay for. So you understand what I'm getting at there. You had to use resources to get there. Money is inevitable. It helps ease our lives to have more so that we can use it to pay the bills so that we can focus on our interests, so that we can focus on our family, our friends, our churches, and our relationship with God. But it is evil to care about that money more than anything else, to love that money more than anything else. Here we get one of the most misquoted verses in Scripture. And as a treat, we're going to use the NKJV. This is 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. All kinds of evil, not all evil. There are plenty of sins out there that don't involve money. But there are a lot of sins out there that do, that involve greed, that involve me raising myself over someone else for the sake of money and my love of it. Never let money distract us from loving others or distract us from our relationship with God. If you're listening at this moment in time and you don't know him, like, look, there's still time to ask for forgiveness and repent of your sins. Like, not because there's this desire to do it out of fear of not knowing where you'll be tomorrow or not having enough money to establish. And if I just just come to faith, then I'll have that. God will bless me immensely. Like he could, but don't go in there for that as a guarantee. Like if you don't know him, don't deduce out of fear of not knowing where you'll be, not knowing you'll have money, or even just to get that old classic, get out of hell free card. This fear and anxiety that's been brought up this entire chapter, it's why I bring this kind of up right here, like can come from situations like this. Don't do it for those things. Do it because you realize there is nothing more important to us than God and how we relate to him. So if you need more resources for that, you want to talk to me about that, uh, let nothing move you podcast at gmail.com. Love to talk to you. 
at that moment, please just let me know if you're struggling in any way in this regard. I want to put this kind of in the middle of this chapter because I don't think I've really talked about it too much before. And I want to give, if there's anyone out there who has no certainty in this regard, let me help you with that. I would love to do that. So we'll go from there to verses 22 through 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Sorry to my animal lovers out there. Humans more important. (laughs) I love animals, don't get me wrong. But one was better than the other. 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no mouth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, I'm a very anxious person by nature. I hate that fact about myself. Like, it's making me anxious right now to even talk about that. That's not a joke. It's really happening. It, I despise that aspect of me. Like, as that person, I need verses like this to cling on to. When I can't control my mind or my thoughts, when I let them wander, when I get consumed by something I suppressed for so long and it bursts out and there's nothing that's stopping that geyser from just ejecting all over my mind. I need these verses and I know all of us at some time need these verses. It is very much in my nature to worry myself over every single detail of my life and then get upset at everything I can't control, which I hate to hear is most everything around me. I can't control people. I can't control uh, uh, my classes. I can't control what my brain retains and what it doesn't, as infuriating as that is. As someone who likes learning, who likes keeping that information, it doesn't stick as much as I would like it to. All of that is nothing before the God of the universe, who took the time as Jesus here to remind all of us that he loves us and cares for us, cares for you, he cares for me, over all of creation. Birds, animals, flowers, everything is second best compared to his first creation, his, his true loving first real creations of that gained the sapient mind capable of understanding him. You and I are more important than anything else he ever made. Find security and hope in that. No power of creation in creation can take us away from him, and he will never leave us if we are his. I know this made some of you go, oh, no, I don't know. Am I really his? And like, I don't want to make fun of you in this moment. You deserve better than that. 
if there's someone out there and you're worried about your salvation and whether it was legitimate, I want to acknowledge you and your struggles. It's going to happen to all of us at some point in time. It's going to happen. And that's why I'm very big on learning how to doubt well. I've already been on that spiel, so I won't go too far. But for those of you out there, you're worried about the security of your salvation. It's easy to worry about whether we said the right things. Or if our heart truly wanted to repent when we prayed a prayer, or we talked to God in private, or what have you. But the moment we said yes to him, the moment we chose to say yes to him, we are his forever. Nothing can stop him from accepting us as his own, not even our own doubts and human frailty. You are more important to him than the birds and the flowers. You are more important than the sun and the moon and the entirety of creation compared to the people he imbued his consciousness upon. Our ability to understand the world around us better than anything else. The closest things we have, they're dolphins, they're octopuses, as Matthew Burke would say. A dear old friend of mine, I haven't seen this so long, who taught me the correct way to say that, and the plural. There are chimpanzees, there are gorillas, there are parrots that are capable of things other animals aren't, yet they are not sapient. You and I are. We can understand the realities around us, and that comes with its burdens. I want to acknowledge that, but there's nothing that can take you and I away from him. And if you're struggling with that right now, once again, I am more than welcome to have that discussion with you. I would love to help you. I would love to talk with you. So go ahead, let nothing move you podcast at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me about that, if not, find someone you can trust who will. And with that, we'll move on to verses 35 through 48. Yes. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants with whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Mm. Hits you over the head, that one. (laughs) I mean, this goes along with that last verse of uh, where a man's heart is, it's going to be where his treasure is, there his heart will be also. We see where these servants are at this moment. Either they're there serving their master faithfully, or they're doing their own thing, or they're acting like they're the one who should be in charge and they're hurting the other people around them. That's a very clear analogy 
to the Pharisees and to all pastors who lead their flocks astray. Let's hit the, the one everyone likes to bring up around this time. And that's when Jesus is coming back. Look, he says the Son of Man is coming. That's true. This will be probably what we talk about the least in this part, because there are better things to talk about in light of you know, Revelation and the end times and so on and so forth. Jesus will be coming back to earth one day. That's one of the things that is made clear here. It's not the main focus, but it's there. Unlike what other people would say about this chapter. He is coming back to earth one day. When? Who knows? That's the point. Did you read the same text I did? It says no one knows. Okay, you good? We're all good? Let's move on. <laughs> Certainly not I when the question of who knows is asked. And if someone says they do, they either need to be sent to a mental institution or they need to be investigated as being a potential cult leader. You know why? Because I read in the cults. I love researching cults because it's so against the truth. It's like, what do these people believe? How did they get here? What was going on in their lives to where they believed such an obvious lie? When scripture says no one knows the day or hour, as we get into other passages in scripture, like no one knows when the master's coming back. And yet they'll say, oh, it's October. <laughs> I think I remember this one clearly. It was October 21st, 2012. And I remember that so clearly because it was my sister's birthday, which is three days after mine. I was like, of course, that'd be the end of the earth. <laughs> And I'm fairly certain she doesn't listen to this. And if she does, hey, Courtney, but probably doesn't. So I can say whatever I want. And I'd say this in front of her face anyways. Like, look, no one knows the day or hour. No one knows. No one knows. Let me say that again. No one knows. The point Jesus is making here beyond his second coming, which is a facet of this, but not the most important part of this verse, is that we need to be prepared so that when it does happen, we're golden. We're okay. I probably said that phrase golden today too many times. So you know what? I'm okay with that because it speaks for itself. That's how we should be beyond measure, beyond reproach. We have done what we were supposed to do. We at that moment can then give him a faithful report of all we did in his name and how we served the kingdom on this earth. Look, you know what? As a human being, let me just say we're human. It's incredibly easy to lose sight of the finish line and grow lazy and complacent. As a very lazy and complacent person, I hate that about myself, but it's who I am. And I'm working on it day by day, working on it. Some days better than others. Some days it's like I did nothing at all. <laughs> we are called to be on mission 24-7. And when Jesus does come back, we need to be ready for it. Because we cannot control Jesus, like many people would like to do when they say they know the day and time. We cannot control him, and we cannot make him work for our purposes. If someone is saying they know when, they're trying to sell you something, they're trying to get you to join their cult, don't listen. It's better for you that way. Look, another point being made here. We have all been given much, from the least of us to the mightiest. We have all been given much by Jesus, and we need to use those resources to follow him. It could be money, family, friends time or possessions, but in an instant, he can call on us to offer these things to serve the kingdom. Even when it feels like we can't give those things up, a parent may be said, told by their child, I think God wants me to go into ministry. And we say, no, 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 do something like this. You'll make more money that way. Or no, 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 go to school, go here and get, learn a trade and you'll, you'll, you'll be more financially stable this way. Don't go to, don't go to school where you're paying outrageous money to get that degree, that master's degree. I can't imagine who I'd be talking to about that. Look, 
it's folly in the eyes of the world to give up these things. But God calls us to give them up when he's given us stuff. Just be glad he's not asking you to sacrifice your child like you did to Abraham to Isaac. And I'll go on the record. He was never going to make Abraham actually kill him. And there's some debate somehow in the church over that. But no, that's not what was going to happen. Look, point being, he could call us to give up those things. Our response should be to use those resources, whatever they may be, that he has freely given us, remember that again, and use them for the sake of the kingdom. Parents want to look after their kids. They want them to grow up. They want them to be stable. They want them to be, you know, have all the money they could ever want and never be concerned again. Like we want our friends to always be around us, to hang out with us, to spend time with us. But what if God says, give them up and go here? What if he says, I want you to move away? What if he says all that time you spend, you know, playing games, you know, it's fine. Like video games are fine. I love playing video games. But if that's all I ever do and Jesus commands me and says, hey, I want you to spend that three hour block instead, do about an hour and 30 of preparation for something else that I have in store for you. Who am I to say no to him? I'm nobody. And yet I think I had the audacity to say that. So when he comes and he says, oh, you didn't do what I said you, I told you to do. Well, look who's getting the beating because I know better. To whom much is, excuse me, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required, required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. (laughs) That's not easy, but Jesus has blessed us with a lot, even to those of us with next to nothing. We've been given a gift that a lot of the world doesn't have. Look, according to polls and statistics, there's about uh, 2 billion Christians so, so, so-called so on this planet. I would probably put that down a lot larger. <laughs> Excuse me, a lot uh, not larger. What's I'm looking for here? There would not be as many in my list, I'll put it that way, who are actually his, rather than people who would say they're his. So you know what that means? There are 8 billion people on this planet. Even if all those 2 billion were actually Christians, that's still not the majority. That's still not everybody, which is what it should be, which is what we would like it to be. Our call is to go out there to be given what with what we've been given and reach them so that they can do the same to others. 49 through 53, and we'll finish, excuse me, and we'll be closer to finishing. We still have more. <laughs> I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. We like to think of peaceful loving Jesus. And guess what? Jesus was peaceful and loving. That is true. But he's so much more than that. We love to think of the Jesus who says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Get along with each other. Don't worry about these things, guys. I've got you. And once again, all those things are true. But a lot of churches, a lot of Christians overlook these verses because it makes them think, because it makes them unhappy. And why? Because it doesn't seem to fit with the rest. And yet that very same Jesus is the same who said all those things earlier. The very same. The message of Jesus is divisive. Hippie Jesus, capitalist Jesus, 
what have you. Neither one of them exists. Jesus is Jesus. He doesn't need you and I to make labels for him. Look, no further to this division than just outside our homes or even inside our own homes. The moment he gets brought up, human beings don't want to give up control of our lives. They say, no, no, that's not true. You know better. You know better. You know yourself. We don't want to give up control of our lives. So we reject him. Even those of us who are his at some points in our walk with him. Like we say, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. Even though we're still his, we walk this way. And eventually, lovingly, he brings us back, no matter what he has to do. But we still reject him sometimes. And why, why are we doing that? Because we want to try to become the gods of our own lives. That's what causes the division. Every one of us thinks at some point in their lives, I know more than you. I can get it done. It can't just be me. <laughs> Because I know that's not true. As prideful a man as I am, there are people out there doing the exact same thing. I may not be saying the exact same things I'm saying. It's like, God, you don't know what you're talking about. God, I know what I'm doing here more than you. I'm me. You're not. We've all said that in some variation. This message of Jesus divides across denominations, political affiliations, families, and every single facet of our broken, fallen world. It should be divisive because it speaks out against a world that wants nothing to do with them. Why don't they want him? Why don't they want Jesus? Because they have this idea of this earthly peace that, you know, everything, truth is just relative. Everyone can do whatever they want. And we all know that's not true. We all know that's never going to work. And we delude ourselves anyway. Earthly peace is impossible. You know why? Because humans are humans and humans suck. Okay? You, me, it's awful. We're terrible people. Even after we've been saved, we're still capable of sinning. And the world that doesn't know Jesus, well, it's 10 times worse, isn't it? In some respects, because they don't have him. They don't rein themselves in like they should because they're giving in to their own truths, which are lies. No scheme of man, no United Nations, no League of Nations, no trying to create a common language, your Esperantos and the like, to foster hope and you know, unity among humanity can concoct a way to establish peace for all mankind because humans are humans. No one can. Earthly peace means everyone gets to do whatever feels right to that personal individual. Guess what? Not everyone's going to agree on that because... You know, I'm going to use the extreme example. The serial killer is going to say, well, I have the right in my own mind to take these lives. And objectively speaking, there's nothing wrong with that if truth is relative. We can't then say, well, a bunch of us say, well, then what, why does the majority get to say what's truth? What if there's a majority and they're saying the truth is wrong? <laughs> I mean, this is very basic uh, philosophy right here in some respects. Look up some other apologetics teachers. They say it a lot better than I can. But we all know at a certain point in time, we can never have peace on this earth and we never will so long as we're still human in the respects of being fallen creatures. Yet, at the end of the day, all of this is just leading up to that point. Jesus is going to divide us because we don't want to hear his message. Be better. Work through it. Acknowledge who Jesus is. Accept that and accept the division that's going to come from that. I know there are people out there listening right now that have family members who have walked away from church, 
who have said they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ or whenever even in a part of the church in the first place. And it's, they've just been living in the world this whole time. They're friends that we want to more than anything to come to them and say, look, please turn away from this madness, from this false truth that can never bring people to faith, can never help anyone. And yet they refuse to, because that would mean giving up the idea that they can become the God of their lives. What does that mean for us? Don't give up on them just because they reject Jesus. Because guess what? We've all done that at some point in time. You know why? Because we're human. It's going to happen. So if it's possible for us who have previously rejected Jesus to then say yes to him, it is possible for most everyone to do so. And look, I'm not going to get into predestination free will right here and now, (laughs) but it's possible. So don't give up because guess what? You and I don't see the totality of human history the way God does. We don't know if that person we're talking to will never come to faith or will come to faith a couple of minutes before dying. They should have done it a long time sooner, but isn't it better to have done it at one time rather than never to stay away from an eternity of separation from God and torment Don't give up on them. Pray for God's will to be done in their lives and pray for us to respect and fear for what God allows to happen in their lives. To say, not our will be done, Lord, but yours. I hate saying that. I I force myself to add that to the end of every prayer I make. Because if I'm truly praying in his name, I will add that. Because his will is is more important than mine. He's more important than yours. Don't give up on these people. Don't also compromise on your faith while thinking it could lead them to righteousness, but continue to love and continue to pray for their sake. And we'll finish up this time, for real, with verses 54 through 59. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret this present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Be aware of your surroundings, please. If we can look outside and say, hmm, that dark storm cloud probably means there's rain coming. We can do the very same with the people in our lives, with the circumstances around our lives, and go, hmm, they seem upset about something. Oh, well, and then move on. No, talk with them in private. Figure out what's wrong. Ask if you can pray for them. Most people will allow you to do that. And guess what? Even if they don't, (laughs) you can still do it. What are they going to do? Stop your thoughts? Stop your desire to love and care on them? It's impossible. So no matter, even if the schools ban prayer completely, well, guess what? They can't control your mind. You can still pray there. Now, do I want them to be bans? No. But how is that going to stop anyone? who truly follows Jesus Christ. Learn from your surroundings. Be aware of them. 
as someone who is terrible at reading the emotional cues of others, this verse screams at me to be better. Because there's no other way to put it. I suck at reading other people sometimes. Sometimes I'm really great. Other times, it's like I've learned nothing my entire life. I'm way better than I was before, especially my teenage years and college, where I had like the emotional thickness of a toothpick. When it came to understanding others, I'm better. But that doesn't mean I remain where I'm at. I need to continue improving. Others of you out there, like you get it. You're on the ball. You see someone, the body language, it, no one else would have saw, seen. And you go after that person, you pursue them. God bless you. Continue doing it. And for the rest of us out there who aren't as good, learn from that example. Learn how to be aware of people, of how, of what they're saying, what they're doing. And not only the people, but the times. Learn to interpret the world around us. Look, I don't like reading the news right now. I've never liked that. You know why? Because I don't want to hear about all the bad things happening. But if I just shut in and remain where I'm at, and I'm unaware of what's going on in the world, how can I pray for them? I can make a general prayer of like, Lord, you know, just watch over all the human beings on planet Earth. And you know what? That's a good prayer in light of the fact that I'm also caring about where they are and what they're doing. So if I don't want to hear about the Russia-Ukraine war, then I'm denying all those people suffering right now, the people who are being forced to fight by a totalitarian dictator, the people who are forced to defend their homes from that same person. Like, I need to pray for everyone involved, even the persons I really don't like in that conflict, because I would like others to pray for me. And if someone learned you're doing that, and no one else has ever done that before in their lives, what do you think? how do you think they're going to react? Most people are going to be grateful. We don't go walk around and then say, hey, been praying for you lately, buddy. It's like just to make ourselves look good to be all pharisaical about it. No. If it comes up in conversation, admit it. And tell them why you pray for them, because you love them. Be aware of your surroundings. Know the people around you. Know the news around you and make preparations for it because we've got to be prepared on this mission. A lot can go wrong if we're not. If we don't take those social cues, if we don't pay attention to what's going on in the news and we say something flippant that looks like we don't care about a certain issue that's going on right now, that's a terrible witness. Be better. And I mean that for you and I mean that for me. And this last part seems almost like it has nothing to do with everything else at first glance, but it really does. And let's get to uh, the surface level first. We'll get into the uh, subtext. Christians need to learn when to settle with people outside of court. That's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's the surface level reading. That's one of the correct ways of reading this. It is far better to do it this way when it doesn't then become a public matter that everyone is talking about that makes some of us look like fools for proceeding onto this path. It is also more loving and gracious to not make a big deal out of matters that can be settled amicably out of court. Everyone would love to have the opportunity to just go to court one day and just make millions of dollars off of a lawsuit or something, or to file a claim and get that money. Like, look, once again, going back to what we said about greed, if that's where your heart is, you're not following Jesus correctly. But if someone has wronged you, they know they've wronged you, they're also a fellow Christian, and you can settle this out of court, and in repentance, show love to one another, do that first. Don't, the world already mocks us. 
They already do it. So when we go out and we're making claims against each other and then throwing every bit of muck raking we can into the process, what do we look like? Do we look like we're unified? Do we look like we love each other? Absolutely not. Look, the court systems have enough problems on their hands. So don't make an already flawed system worse by being childish and refusing to budge for the sake of personal honor. Like, look, once again, if something you have been wrong and the other person refuses to do the right thing and settle things out with you out of court, then bring them to court. Expose that sin in righteousness in a way that you are able to proclaim yourself as free of the ability to say, like, look, I'm doing this because I want to look great. Like, no, you were wrong. God wants justice to be delivered. There's nothing wrong with that. If that other person did not say or attempt to make a way to make peace, or also if you didn't make a way to attempt peace. So don't give up on those things. It is okay to go to court. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he is saying is it's better not to. It's better for us not to. But it's the actual subtext of what he's actually saying here. In the same way, we need to settle these disputes before we get to the ultimate judge of all things, and he has his say in the matter. Wrapping up this entire chapter here with this whole thing of we need to be ready before God, that includes what we have against him, what we have against others. We need to give them up before we get to the judgment throne of God. Look, if we're his, we're going to get in. But couldn't we just make it easier on ourselves in that moment to when God brings up, you have this against your brother and sister, we can then say, Lord, I've forgiven them. Versus, well, they deserve it, Lord, and you should strike them down dead. Does that really show where our heart is on the matter? God's judgments will be far harsher than anything the human mind can devise. Don't let him be that judge in that moment. Have it resolved beforehand, and there will be no scolding. It'll be that much easier for you. That's it. That was the end of the chapter. <laughs> so guys, thanks for staying with me again through my tongue-tied, through my stuttering, through my lisp, through everything. I really enjoy it. It's so great to get some engagement from all of you. Uh, please, if you have the chance, leave a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. It'll really help me out to continue uh, garnering interest. You can share the episodes I post on Facebook and Twitter. You can do that as well. Would really enjoy that. If you're interested in my fiction writing, you can find my works at www.starvingwritersguild.com or on Amazon by searching the name MC Ashley. If you're all interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, please go ahead and check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries Podcasting Network. You can also, like I mentioned before, contact us at letnothingmoveypodcast at gmail.com. Really looking forward to more discussions with people. All the fun that's going to be had there. And with all that in mind, God bless you all in accordance to his will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you, let nothing move you.